Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Work Podcast. And today we've got really special treat. We have with us author and book reviewer, Beth Casserdale. Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Very excited to have you on and excited to hear about both sides of the writingness, the fiction writingness, and the reviewingness. Starting from the beginning, how this all start? What came first, reviewing books, being an author? Why did you decide to write a book? How did everything happen? I'll go right, take you right to the very beginning, with the fiction writing specifically. I started writing pretty much when I was a kid, and back in elementary school, I started making up stories mostly to entertain myself, and I used to create my own books, these handwritten, staple-bound, illustrated numbers that, for some reason, a lot of them were about haunted houses and castles and so on. I just kept writing, and by the time I got to college, I understood that I was unlikely to make a living from writing fiction, so I decided to major in journalism, and in those days, that wasn't a fool's errand. There were actually a lot more newspapers back then, and they were still hiring a decent number of reporters. And I eventually, I got a reporting job at a newspaper in Massachusetts, and the work was really gratifying. But I found that after a long day of researching stories and turning out stories under deadlines, I just didn't have much energy left to write fiction. So I eventually moved into book publishing. That career I was editing, I wasn't doing as much writing. And that really just opened up a lot more time for me to write That just aligned with my need to write a lot better. So that's kind of what happened. And now I actually went freelance. I don't have to go to an office job. So I have more time to do my writing. And with the reviewing stuff, my three books have come out from small presses. And I thought it's a way of kind of looking out for the small press community. Why don't I review some of the books that are coming out from small presses? So that's how I started Small Press Picks. So that's a little bit about both my writing and reviewing history. So When you say that you're working in a newspaper and researching, what kind of stuff were you writing? I was hired as a business reporter, so I was doing all kinds of stories, small businesses. There are actually some locally traded companies, so I actually followed the stock market and and that sort of thing. I wrote about local bankruptcies, anything that was of interest to the business community I covered. When you applied for the newspaper job, was it like, I can cover all this sort of stuff? You're like, hey, I'm a writer. And they're like, great, we need you to do business. And you're like, well, I better learn how to read the stock market funny you asked that because at the time I thought, oh my God, if, if all the people to write about business, oh my gosh, I wouldn't be the first choice because I'd had experience as a general assignment reporter as an intern in college. But what happened was it was just a, enough challenging to get hired that if you could bill yourself as a business reporter, you could you could get a job a little bit more readily. And so I kind of lucked out in that way. And I, I learned a lot about business reporting on the job, but coming into it, I didn't know a lot. So it was a lot of kind of on the fly training, but it was great training. I think that was a good way to learn. That's kind of what happened. Did a lot of that training just come from the editor that you had to submit to, or you were working with someone at first before the kind of release? I had a great you? editor. Yeah, he was just, um, the business editor was a fantastic mentor, and he really did a lot of coaching and giving me some good advice about going after stories or what to ask, but then I was writing, kind of coaching me along. So it was he was just a fantastic mentor to have. I largely thank him for it. Yeah, well, hey, a good editor makes such a big difference. Oh, yes. Eternally grateful to editors, honestly. I think sometimes writers get a little bit worried about, oh, once I give it to an editor, they're going to change everything and it's not going to be me anymore. Which if your editor does that, then run for the hills. But that's not what a good editor does, not at all. They push you to just be that much better. 
So true. And there's the grammar, you know, sentence level stuff. But even I think the more valuable stuff is getting to the heart of your storytelling and shaping your ideas. There's no replacing that. Yeah, especially now that you you have a stronger focus with fiction and you're looking back kind of what you wrote for the newspaper and being trained as a journalist. Would you say that there's certain either foundational or techniques or something like skill sets of writing that if you get those down, you can transfer them to not say any but almost any style of writing like if you really want to the one thing i would say is that the fiction writing i've done you know is very different from the the journalism i did but one thing i'll say is that i I was mentioning grammar and clear sentences and i feel like once you write enough newspaper stories that have been through the editorial process that i don't want to say it becomes second nature to write clear sentences but they seem to flow a lot more easily and that the syntax and so forth getting that together doesn't get in the way as much when you're trying to get a a fiction story down if if that makes any sense you kind of have a little bit more ease with the technicalities so you can put your mind and your energy on shaping the story and the characters. I think that's probably the main thing I'd say about that. So I think that kind of the journalism background and just cranking out as clear as stuff as you can under deadline was really helpful for that, for sure. Right. A lot of writers sometimes will come from screenwriting where you have very little mm. words compared to a novel. But it seems like writing journalism just helps you just write with a lot of clarity almost. Well, because you don't have space, right? You don't have space to start pontificating and describing too much. Like, what is the point? Get the story out kind of thing. Exactly. And I, I think like in a way, writing fiction, it allows me to also appreciate some of the, the stuff that I couldn't do in journalism more, like kind of setting a scene with details or whatever. It's kind of fun to let that side bloom a little bit more too. So you, you're able to appreciate being able to do that too. Whereas in journalism, it is you got to cut that out and get to the key points of your articles. It's kind of you get the best of both worlds in a way. Yeah, this might be kind of a repeat in the answer or the question even, but have you ever either been part of a writing group or spoken to other writers? They'll mention certain things that they struggle with as writers, and then you realize that you're not struggling with it, not just because you're different people, but coming from the newspaper, you're like, that was never a habit I was allowed to fall into, or like, that was kind of trained out of me from the beginning, so, you know, I got my other challenges. Have you ever picked up on anything like that? I have been in a a few different writers groups and they've been just so incredibly helpful to me and made some lifelong friendships through through them and they've been invaluable. And I would just say it's funny, whatever I would contribute, I always felt like I was struggling with it. I felt like we we all brought our own struggles in and I never felt that I was in a better place necessarily than anyone else. But I do think that I was so glad that we all had our different perspectives. You know, whatever our backgrounds were, I felt like we brought our own little strengths. I hope that I was bringing not only my journalism side, but also my fiction side in terms of what I brought. But I don't think I had an easier go of anything, but I hope that I was able to contribute some insights based on my background. That's definitely the best thing about the writing group is that you get out of your own head. Oh, yeah. Because everyone is so different or because you have so many different perspectives that you don't necessarily have when you're in your head. Yes. Going back, so you said you became an editor after that. You became an editor at a small press or or what was that transition? I was looking for book publishing jobs, and I actually got a job at a publisher of English textbooks. It was great because, of course, I'm a book lover, so it was a great kind of field for me to get into. I didn't do any work with fiction there. It was mostly essays and then writing books, books about writing instruction and so on. I definitely learned from that process, too, just kind of, it wasn't novels and fiction, but it was a good look at the how books are put together and edited and published, and it's kind of a good entry into the production side of books. And 
and the editorial side of books. And that was really valuable to me. You were like a line editor or you were more of a content editor or kind of both? Like yeah, kind of- I was a content yeah. editor. A technical term is a developmental editor. So you work on developing books. So you work with the authors to kind of get the book from basically concept to completion and working through different drafts. And there's some copy editing involved, but then eventually the book gets turned over to a copy editor and a proofreader. So you're kind of in the earlier stages of developing the content. So that was basically what my job was. And a little bit of marketing too. You get a little bit involved in writing promotional copy, which as you probably know too, as authors, we have to do that now. So that that's really helpful in that background for sure. Yeah, because that's like the bane of every author's existence. Mm, yeah. Mm. We have to write a summary. Why? Why a synopsis? Can someone else do this part? Yeah. I know. And I got to tell you, even with the background, the work experience, that stuff never gets any easier, I don't think. So. Oh, well, I don't know if that's reassuring or just more horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it, during that time, you wrote your first novel, or at what point did you actually write your first novel? My first novel, which I got to tell you, I, I did not get my first novel published, and it, it took me like 12 years to write. I don't even know. That might have started when I was in journalism still, but I think it was during my first publishing job, and partly that was the time factor. I was writing mostly on weekends, so that took a long time. So that started there, but it wasn't until I went freelance about... 15 years ago, 12, 15 years ago, that I really started getting books out the door, new novels finished now, you know, submitted to publishers and so on. So I am definitely a late bloomer for those reasons and others. So it's kind of been a long journey for me. The first novel that, that was not published, the one that took forever and was not published, did you try to get that published or by the time you were finally ready of, okay, time for publishing, you're like, actually, I don't think this is it. I got a better story now. I did try, and it's funny. I got a couple decent responses from a couple agents, but they didn't take it, and I just kind of thought, I don't, I, I'm just going to kind of shelve this one. And I don't know if you've had this experience yourself with with a, a manuscript in the drawer, but you look back, and sure, it's a disappointing experience. But I think that was my MFA was writing that book. I mean, I didn't actually get an MFA, but I feel like I spent years on that book, and I got I got a lot of feedback from my writers group, and revised and revised and revised. And in one sense, I get that well, that was all wasted effort. But on the other hand, I don't think I would really think I had to go through that process to get to a point where I thought my writing was publishable. And I'm sure other maybe other folks you've, you've spoken to have, have shared that kind of story. But for me, I hope it's not sour grapes or whatever, but I, I do think of it as it was a good education for me. I'll put it that way, for sure. Ah, uh, yes. That's not to say that it was easy street from there. I still feel that every book that I publish, even when I get it, no book is ever done in a way. Just hope that you get it input from others and and so on and so forth and revising you hope to get things into as good a shape as possible but i feel like that learning process has never ended for me and it probably won't be as interesting if it ever does end that was a big first step but i've definitely had to continue my learning process as i've continued to write which is good no complaints it's part of the whole deal yeah absolutely um, well you hope that whatever is going to come next is going to be better absolutely your first novel to have gone published, you have more than one out. What was the process there? After you realized that the first one is not going to happen, you're like, okay, ready to write the second one. And then we'll talk about what they're, what they're about in a second. But did you also go through the whole, let's look for an agent, we'll look through publishers sort of thing. You knew right away you want to go to a smaller press. So that one I looked for, for agents as well and nothing really worked out. And that was my first experience publishing through a small press. And that, that press actually took my second book as well. So... 
that was kind of my entree into the whole small press field. Then my, my latest novel, my third one that got published, is with, with yet another small press. So I do not have an agent. I finished a novel recently, and I'm going directly to small presses for that. I'm not even really looking for an agent for that one. I've just had such a good experience with the smaller publishers, and I feel that with the bigger publisher, I might end up being a tiny fish in a huge pond. So that's kind of where I am, I am with that. Did someone recommend the small presses to you, or as you were looking, you kind of stumbled across and realized, like, hey, there's small presses out there. I could get to them directly. Let's try it. First two books with the, the pr- first press I mentioned, publisher of that press, she actually uh, got in touch with, I think she read a short story of mine and she enjoyed it. And she said, do you happen to have a novel on hand? And I said, as a matter oh, wow. of fact, I do. And I sent her my book and she liked it, but she thought it needed work. And so we had a number of exchanges and eventually the press published it. So that's how that started. And then with the second book with her, I was more of a known quantity and, and just sent it along to her. And that went from there. So I, that was fortunate. But previous to corresponding with her, I think I had started sending the book out to other small presses and then her offer came along. So it was a little bit of both, like of me sending it out and then getting that that nice email from her. It made me think, well, gosh, somebody is reading my short stories. I don't know if you get this, but sometimes you wonder if anyone's reading them at all, but that show is nice. Yeah. Does that mean that at some point you were writing and sending out short stories also? When did that happen? I'm trying to remember exactly how that, my, my recollection, I think, you know, that first novel that I never published, I think I threw everything into that and didn't really submit any stories. But I think between the end of that book and my work on the second book, I started submitting stories. And actually, I had my first story submissions before I had a novel acceptance. And right now, I'm focusing mostly on, on novels. There might be some short stories in me, but I, I tend to be drawn to like longer form writing. So that's kind of where I am now. My first publications were short stories. So so sure it's nice to get a little positive news amid all the long-form rejection stuff. So you had those and you were just kind of sending them out to different literary magazines or... Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great that someone got in touch with you through that. That's pretty cool. Oh, I was so surprised. Even just telling you, I, I never would have imagined that would, would happen, but it, but it did. I was very grateful for that. Oh, that's great. And then just to go through it now, three books out now. So kind of in brief, what's, what's each one about? My first novel was Marion Hatley, and in brief, it, it tells the story of a Depression-era corset maker who, she plays a scandal in the in a big city, and she goes to the country to take care of an ailing aunt of hers, and she hopes to kind of live and work in peace, and she's basically creating this science fiction-y, incredibly comfortable corset to relieve working women of corset woes, and while she's doing that, her past kind of catches up to her, and she gets into the soup even deeper, and she finds some secrets about her aunt and her own past that kind of catch up with her that's kind of that in short and did you want me to just go on to the other books well i did but now i'm thinking how does someone come up with an idea to write about a corset maker and i'm gonna (laughs) make the corset that's gonna free everyone what yeah it was so much fun the history of this novel so my maternal grandmother wore the type of corset that was typical of marion hatley's time and this was even as she did the hard work of running the family farm so if you can imagine oh sweating and farm work and wearing this corset my mother drew it for me and it's not the kind of corset like with the whalebone that turn of the last century but it was more like kind of a girdly thing that Ugh. wasn't just your hips but also your bust and then it had like, like it just looked god awful so i just was haunted by this corset and i thought oh my god like what if a woman could be like make this revolutionary thing that would actually not only be comfortable but actually be 
so comfortable you want to wear it. So I kind of thought, why not have this character do this? But in parallel with that, I thought about the main character, Marion Hatley's time. The restrictions weren't just, just courses. The women's place in society, and if you happen to like, like to drink gin fizzes the way she does, and all these different things, you're not exactly welcome. And so I wanted to kind of look at not only the, the corset restrictions, but the restrictions that this businesswoman would be facing at that 1931. That's kind of how that stuff took off, and it was really fun to write it. And there was a lot of great information there was a book that I read by Valerie Steele about undergarments, the history of that, and some other stuff. It was really fun to kind of plunge into that that history, too, while I was doing it. Was there a lot of research involved, or do you kind of have your story and then research to fill in the blank? Or everyone's like, how do you balance the research and the writing? So how did you approach that? I would do a little writing and then research. I'm like, ah, I don't really know about this, so I need to look into it. So a little bit of dribs and drabs and with the corset stuff, kind of looking at books, so some great online resources. And there were other aspects of the book that I had to research as well. Like Marianne becomes involved with a veteran of World War One, and, and I was trying to write about his war experiences. So I came across, there's this great resource at the Library of Congress that has the journals of the soldiers of the First World War. There's, some of them are just incredibly detailed about what they went through emotionally and logistically so I kind of like went into that rabbit hole and got some great stuff there and sometimes as you might know as a writer yourself sometimes you're like okay Beth when are you procrastinating okay you know like you really need to go back and start writing again so some of that was striking that balance of writing and getting research where you need it and then just not going overboard so yeah there's so many interesting things to learn about. Oh, yes. Did your newspaper background kick in here of like, you know, you got to get in, get the fact and get out kind of thing or not like I that. think it did. Yeah, okay. I, I think it did. It wasn't so much Mary Hatley, but for my other books, it helped to do like little brief interviews. And sometimes they were just by email. Like I shoot some questions to someone or one of my novels was about a grave digger. So I spent a day with the grave digger just asking him questions. So <laughs> it, I just don't have a problem. I'm not afraid to do that. So I think that was helpful to have that background for sure yeah now that you mentioned the gravedigger what are the other two novels about so after Marion Hatley I wrote this book titled in this ground and it's set pretty much almost entirely in a cemetery it tells the story of this indie rocker turned gravedigger Ben and he's haunted by the, the death of his former band's lead singer who is buried literally under Ben's feet at the cemetery where Ben works and not to get too much away but he feels somewhat responsible for the death of the singer and he's kind of put music behind him as a consequence and his daughter who is a, an aspiring musician as she gets older she's like why did dad do this like why are these old guitars sitting around the house and why did he do this so she starts sleuthing and eventually she kind of gets him to come to terms with his what happened with his bandmate and gets him kind of back into music, too. It's a story about them, but it's also a story of the cemetery. Like, I get into some of the people who were buried there and why were people drawn to the cemetery. One of the things that the gravedigger I mentioned, he said there's so much stuff that goes on here at night, like all kinds of weird stuff. So I wanted to have the nighttime cemetery going on, too. So that was fun to do. Do you and want then, to know what it means that there's weird stuff going on in a cemetery? Yes, I did not include this in the, in the book, but the gravedigger said that there were like signs of like voodoo rituals, like you would find these chicken heads and ropes and candles and all this kind oh, of strange wow. stuff on graves. <laughs> wow. I didn't go there, but 
I did have it be a place where Ben, as a young man, when he was a musician, and Cole, his daughter, that musicians would go out, go and hang out there and play music and, and sort it. So I did have that kind of aspect to it. The idea that kind of people would retreat there at night. But yeah, the voodoo stuff, I feel like, eh, I'm not going yeah. to go there. Did you make up some cemetery? Was there a cemetery that you came across that you got all inspired from? And you're like, this is a setting. How did that one happen? I live in Boston and there's the Forest Hill Cemetery is just a beautiful old cemetery. Some more modern cemeteries you look in, it's a bunch of lined up stones without much personality. But Forest Hills has all these beautiful monuments and sculptures and it's very windy and twisty and very beautiful. And basically that was where I mentally set this book, although I didn't call it Forest Hills. That helped me visualize the story. Uh, so that was really helpful to me. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so. Now we can hear about the third book. Yeah, oh sure. So my latest book, it's called I Mean You No Harm. And it's a work of suspense, but it's also the story of a family and also a story of self-discovery. And when the novel starts, the main character, whose name is Layla Sean, so she's been estranged from her father for years. And he was a career criminal. And she has also been estranged Strange from her half-sister. When their father dies, the two of them reconnect at their dad's wake, and this happens to be just after Layla has found some new clues about who might have been responsible for her mother's unsolved murder, which happened years ago when she was a kid. But anyhow, soon after the wake, Layla discovers that her half-sister bed is, she's really looking pretty ill, but she's determined to go on this cross-country road trip, and the trip seems to have innocent ends, but Layla's, she's really cagey about what, what exactly it is, and Layla, Layla's like, I'm going to go along just because I want to make sure Beth's all right. She's not well. And they end up going on the trip together and kind of mend fences. But eventually Layla finds herself in the middle of an unsettled score between her father and a man who knows more than he should about her mother's death. So it's kind of the two sisters reconnecting, but also getting into some danger, dangerous stuff that their father left behind, basically. Is that a contemporary officially? Like it takes place today? Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to remember what, if I say it's 2018 or 2019 and the dates in the book, but yeah, just pre-pandemic is what I would say. Yeah, you're hitting up really different places with your novels. Yeah, I love each book to be kind of a new discovery for me. So that's been part of the fun is trying out these different genres and settings and everything. So it's been loads of fun. But talk about research. It's like new, fresh research. Right yeah. Time. This third one you said is with a different press. Was it just because of the new genre you moved to a different press or you're just also just feeling different things out sort of thing? It definitely was the genre. The publisher of this one is based in the Southwest, and they do a lot of nonfiction books on road trips. And I thought, well, maybe they'll be interested. You know, they publish fiction and nonfiction. And I thought, well, maybe it'd be a good connection because my novel, a big part of my novel is a road trip. So I thought it would, you know, would get them to try and they read the manuscript and liked it. So that's kind of what happened from there. Oh, so yeah, good. it was a good fit. Oh, very nice. And then, especially because you're with smaller presses, what are some of the things that you do to just kind of, t you just talk to people about your books, you try to get into local bookstores? What are some things that you try to do to get out there? Definitely connecting with bookstores and every different kind of marketing thing that you can think of, even with traditional publishers, like trying to get reviews, getting on a book tour, doing readings, trying to get word out through social media, trying to get articles placed. I mean, that's challenging, but if you can think of ways, like, is there something that would be interesting that I could write about that would be helpful and interesting to people, but my novel would be mentioned, but it wouldn't be like, hey, here's my novel. Something that's not too salesy and that people would find it useful to try to place those types of articles. So yeah, so I'm always trying to think of things to do to promote things and also I have to say and this is a thanks to you and your colleagues of reaching out to podcasts because I am such a podcast fiend like yeah. I, I adore them and I feel like I just think it's such a great way to kind of talk about 
writing and literature and the whole process. And so hats off to you and the other podcast hosts, because I think it's a great way of connecting readers and writers for sure. Yeah. And then we get to talk about books. So yay. 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 And then just to go quickly, the book review that you do, and you say you specifically look at small presses, is that kind of arbitrary or do you kind of look at the presses that are publishing you to choose? Let me make sure I do five books from here sort of thing. Or how do you choose your books? What are you kind of looking for when you're doing a review, etc.? Early in the going, I would just, before anyone knew about small press picks, I would just try to look at all kinds of presses and look at their books, look at their catalogs and think, oh, this boy, I sure would like to read that. And so I would approach publishers. I've been doing it for almost 10 years. And the last number of years, I get so many requests from publishers that I can't do all of them, can't review all the books. So I I wish I could. I got to tell you, like, there's just so many good books that these presses are putting out. It's really hard to, sometimes it's just like, what what can I get done in, in a reasonable amount of time? So there's no shortage of good books. And a lot of them come to me now. And it's just a pleasure, and but also a difficulty of just trying to have to sort through all of them and wishing I could do more. But it's a good problem to have, but I just wish I could review more of these these good books. Right. What are you kind of looking for as a reviewer? Because are you even bothering with the technical aspects of it? Or, okay, if there's 10 grammatical errors, then I'll mention it. But if there's one or two, I don't even care. I'm just trying to see. This book says it's going to be a thriller. It was a thriller. Five stars. Just for you personally, like, what are are you kind of looking out for? By the time these books get published, these presses, that at least the ones I've had the good fortune to get books from, they're in good shape. I haven't had anything where, like, oh my God, who, this is terribly written. And, and I honestly, I just, I review books that I would could recommend in good faith. I mean, it kind of goes to the title of my website, Small Press Pick. So if anything that I'm going to write about is a book that I would, with confidence, recommend and, and think that it's worthy of folks reading. And so in my reviews, I try to talk about what that is and immerse myself in the story and what I think is being achieved without giving that too much away. And again, I'm just so impressed. Sometimes you think like, there are new books coming out all the time. How can they, there possibly be all this great work? Or how can anyone do something new that, that really surprises you? But I'm just really taken with how many books are doing something in a fresh way or achieving something really remarkable. So that's made this work really a pleasure, honestly. Oh, nice. Just to ask, is there every once in a while or something where it's one that you're like, it has nothing to do with the way the book was written, it just didn't do it for me, and then you choose not to review it? I think sometimes, I mean, I think you're onto something with that. I've reviewed experimental books that I've really enjoyed, but if something is super, super experimental, I might not be the best reader just because I don't tend to read that. That's not the kind of thing that I would go after in my own reading time necessarily when I'm not reviewing. I don't think I'm necessarily the best reader for that necessarily. That's one thing I'd say is if it's really, really abstract or whatever, I might not be the best reader. But, you know, that said, there's been some experimental books. I'm glad I waded into them because I really enjoyed them. It's always a tricky thing because, especially as a writer yourself, you're like, I know what goes into a book. You don't want to just be dismissive of it, but at the same time, it's subjective. Like, okay, certain writing, everyone could be like, this is strong writing, right? But that doesn't mean that you love the story. It just means we could all agree that this is strong writing. It's kind of like a balance of, I don't want to be dismissive. There's a lot of hard work here. It's strong writing, but the story just didn't necessarily work for me. So you still have to relay that somehow if you choose mm-hmm. to review it. Because you also don't want to be dishonest to the people who are looking to you for reviews. So. Right, exactly. That's really true. Yeah, you kind of have to strike that balance for sure. Yes, that's also where being a good writer comes in. Because you figure out how to phrase it. Like, this is great writing, but I wasn't as surprised with the twist as I thought I would be or something. Like, 
Yeah, no, I think it's true. And it's funny. I mean, I think about this, not really maybe directly related, but with writers groups, you know, sometimes when you're all sharing your thoughts, sometimes it's interesting how everyone can have a different take. But sometimes you're like, well, for whatever reason, sometimes even if the story is in pretty good shape or a novel, not every work speaks to us in the same way, right? So we find a way to express that and not to throw shade on on the, the author of the book, but sometimes not everything strikes everyone the same way. Yeah, the best moments in writing groups are when you have like the first two people, this didn't work for me. I really didn't like this. I think you could do better. And then the person who comes after that says something like, I actually didn't mind this. I really like this part. So the same part. I noticed that feeling. Anyways, that's always fun. With that funness said, we always wrap up with the fill the blank of I really like it when, and then choosing something, (laughs) writing, writing writing-ish related. So I really like it when, writers, editors, publishers, stories, series, covers, whatever, librarians, bookstores, reviewers. I really like it when, I really don't like it when. So how you fill in the blank for both of those? I'm going to go with stories. So I'm going to say that I really like it when stories respect readers' intelligence and when they raise intriguing questions that defy quick or easy answers, both for the protagonist and for readers. And I find that these types of stories can make readers feel more actively engaged with the narrative and how it unfolds. And I really don't like it when stories don't seem to respect readers' intelligence. And I'm thinking you probably have this encounter every now and then where Something is over-explained, plot element is over-explained, or characters' motivations are over-explained. And to my mind, these types of stories are less compelling because they don't really allow readers to make their own discoveries. So those are kind of my feelings about it. I think it's hard because, right, sometimes you, I've gotten critiques of my writing where it says, what's going on here? It's not clear. And you gotta, you have to pay attention to that, but then you don't want to go overboard and just kind of explain something so much that it just feels like, okay, enough already. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, um, well, the giving over of the information is next to synopses. I think that's the next bane of writers is how do I get just enough information across without it becoming like a textbook or something. Totally. Yeah, that's another favorite. Would you say that includes specifically also kind of on the nose dialogue and and things like that or anything that's a little bit too... I think so too. Yeah, I mean, do you ever read dialogue where sometimes it feels like the the speaker is explaining something or like people don't really talk that way, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like, and and we are here at this bank because we know this bank was, there was a robbery here last week and we want to look, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like someone is, it sounds like the character is trying to explain, but no one would ever say that. Yeah, it's like using dialogue to catch the reader up because everybody else in the story knows already. But like you said, no one talks like that. So Exactly, that's exactly it. Yeah, very true. Yeah, very good. Before we let you go, are you ready to work on your next novel or are you still looking for an idea? I actually finished a revision of a new novel that it is kind of a ghost story, a, a paranormal novel, which is totally new. So I've, I've finished that and I'm, I'm shopping that around. And then I'm actually working on a new novel that just in the very early stages about a, a woman fight to keep her small family farm going. So that's the new one that I'm working on. So yes, I'm still firing away. So. Very good. Sometimes people think that once you have, you spend so much time on your first idea and you think, well, this is the idea and you don't realize that most of the time, once you're done with that idea, there's going to be another idea, usually. So it's always good when you know that the idea is there, you can already start working on it, versus if you have to go right. sifting for it. Definitely. Sometimes this, with the farm novel, it took a while for that one to surface. But you're right. I mean, I feel like sometimes it's kind of nice to have an idea kind of in the background. You think, oh, I'll get, I'll get to that. And it's, it's kind of exciting. That's kind of in the in the corner for us. So Yeah, just it's just waiting. It's just they're waiting. Exactly. Very good. Well, Beth, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. It was fun to speak with you. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. And thanks again for all that you're doing. And best of luck with your writing and everything else. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring author and reviewer Beth Castroneff. 
find out more about Beth and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Work Podcast and keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, follow us on Instagram at Oh My Work Podcast, or please check us out at el10amount.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time.